Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. Good morning. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really uh, happy to be here and happy that we made it here. We were a little nervous uh, in the airport um, coming here, what, what it was going to look like. It was actually pretty crowded, the airport. I think it was, we flew out of Orlando and it was, I think, Disney vacations ending early um, and people heading home. But uh, just to let you know, everyone was like kind and in control in the airport, which I don't know if the news has shown much of the airport, but people were kind and in control, which has been uh, what I've experienced so far, which is really nice when like the news is like everyone's freaking out and people are like hey how's it going how's your day yeah it's <laughs> kind of nice um but thank you so much for having me thank you pastor john and pastor neil and for me whenever i get an opportunity like this um i'm just appreciative and um just to stand in a pulpit like this where somebody's been proclaiming the word of god for 30 plus years in a community is inspiring and um can we just take a moment and just thank pastor john and pastor neil and all the leadership here thank you so much Um, this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, uh, if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 4. And uh, I said this at the last service, um, I have been planning to teach this text for a couple of weeks now, and my message has been ready to go uh, for a couple of weeks, and then all of the stuff's been going on, and it almost seems like it, the, the application is so specific, it seems like, that it's like this is a coronavirus message. It's not, um, although it might seem like that. And I just think of the timing of God. He knew exactly what was going to be going on and how relevant for many of us um, this text and this teaching um, will be. So um, I just pray that God speaks to all of us this morning and gives us peace in this time. Um, I've titled this message, if you take notes and you want to write this down, what you do when you don't know what to do. What you do when you don't know what to do. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. It reads this way. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus speaking to his apostles, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat on the boat, so that it was already filling. But he, that's Jesus, was uh, uh, in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much again for your word. We thank you that you are here in this place. You promised to meet with your people when they gather in your name. And so God, we recognize that this is not just an auditorium. God, this is the sanctuary of the living God. And we ask that you would meet us here now, speak to us through your word. God, we do pray for peace. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, the apostles are following Jesus to the other side, right? That, that's how the story begins. Now, they're leaving uh, really the, the, I guess you could say the safety of what they're used to. They're, they're on the side that they live on where things happen, their life is. And Jesus is now telling them to cross to the other side. And we see as they cross to the other side, they're met with opposition. And waiting for them on the other side is more opposition. Um, in, in the next uh, chapter coming up is uh, uh, the story of, it's my pastor's favorite story in the Bible. It is uh, the crazy, naked, demon-possessed guy named Legion. And there, you can't hear a sermon from him. We're out with Legion. Doesn't get the crazy, naked, demon-possessed. Got to get thrown into a message every time. Um, but uh, so more opposition and, and confusion and weirdness is waiting for them on the other side. And then in the ship, crossing to the other side, we see that they face a storm and chaos and confusion. But what I want you to notice is that Jesus was the one that told him to get to the boat. Jesus was the one that told him to cross to the other side. So Jesus, they're, they're following his lead. They're following his plan. They're following his direction. And he is the one now that has put their life in jeopardy. Right? If it wasn't for Jesus telling them to get in the boat, they wouldn't be in the middle of this storm. So the storm comes, they're, they're leaving comfort, they're going to more chaos, they're met with chaos on the way, and life is, seems like it's spinning out of control, and where's Jesus? I love it. To sleep on a pillow. Here, here he is, it seems like in their hour of need, Jesus, where are you? What's going on? This storm has come, life is crazy, life is out of control, and Jesus, where are you? Well, he is asleep on a pillow. Seems like he's not doing anything. And I wonder for many of us what, what we do when we don't know what to do and it seems like he's not doing anything either. Jesus, what, what, like, what's going on? <laughs> We're following you. You're the one that is in control. You're the one that told us to get here. And Jesus is asleep on a pillow. Now, this is especially interesting in Mark's gospel because the, the gospel of Mark portrays Jesus as the servant Jesus, meaning he's always doing something in Mark's gospel. The word immediately is used a ton in Mark's gospel to describe the situation that, that's happening. He did this, and then immediately he left, and he did this, and immediately he left and did this because constantly Jesus is doing, Jesus is serving, Jesus is healing, and things like that. So, in this moment in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus is asleep, if you follow the narrative a little bit, it, is, it should draw your attention. It's one of the very few times in Mark's gospel where Jesus isn't doing anything. And so here they are in, in a moment where you would think Jesus would do something that's what they've seen so far, and that's what they would continue to see. And in this moment where you would assume Jesus to do something, he's asleep on a pillow. He, he seems like he's not around, not interested, not invested in their situation. And I'm sure many of us have felt like this, and perhaps we feel like that even now. We're going through life, all of a sudden something difficult comes, and it seems like Jesus is asleep on the job. Isn't he supposed to be the one taking care of us? Isn't he supposed to be the one doing this? Where is Jesus in my hour of need? And it seems like the, the storm or the difficulty is gonna overwhelm you and Jesus is nowhere to be found. 
And so what do we do when we don't know what to do and it seems like he's doing nothing also? I want to show you kind of like four options that we have in the middle of the chaos. When storms come and life gets difficult and we're overwhelmed and we don't know what to do, sort of four options. Three of them are going to be the wrong option and then one is going to be the very obvious right option. That's kind of where we're going. The first option, point number one, is panic. Panic. What we do when we don't know what to do, panic. That's sort of what we see the apostles doing in this story. When Jesus wakes up, the first thing he says to them after he, he calms the storm, but he says to them, why are you so fearful and have no faith? They are in an outright panic in the middle of the storm. The scene would probably be kind of comical as Jesus wakes up from his nap, probably from them yelling and freaking out. Don't you care about us? What's going on? This storm is going to kill us. Life is overwhelming. And Jesus responds, why are you so fearful? You're afraid. You're panicking. You're freaking out. For many of us, when we walk into something unknown, we begin to panic. And we sort of live in a world of panic, don't we? I mean, turn on the news right now and you will see that we live in a world of panic. We're used to it because we're hurricane people, aren't we? Like we know what, it, what it's like. The, the news is like, here comes a hurricane. It's going to be, I remember a few years ago and this, I, I don't tend to get caught up in that very often. I try to stay away from it because I think I've learned now that I do get caught up in it if I watch. Um, but there was a hurricane coming for us a few years ago. And I remember the guy on the news literally said, if you do not evacuate, and we were not planning on evacuating, he says, you will leave in a body bag. And we're like, oh my, <laughs> that is great. And then of course, what happens? Like hurricane moves or, you know, whatever. Praise God, he intervenes and we're safe. But just, it's this everything freaking out and it's, it's this is the end and life is as we know it. And it's, it's a panic that tends to happen in our world. In sort of our Western culture where we live, we live with this myth of progress. Maybe you've heard of this idea before, the myth of progress. This thought that all of life is moving towards a utopian future with a promise of a better tomorrow. Where we are advancing in such a rapid rate and what we are moving towards, what the iPhone 11 is moving us towards and what you know electric cars is moving us towards is a better future. Like that's the promise of what this, this, the, this progress is happening. And probably most people would agree that we are advancing and progressing. But there's this sort of myth. In a message by a pastor named John Mark Comer titled, quote, Becoming a Non-Anxious Presence, he said this, Although we're progressing economically and technologically, we are breaking down emotionally, morally, and socially. There's this myth of progress that, that we are advancing in some ways, and yet at the same time, we're breaking down in probably the ways that really matter. That there's this myth that we're progressing towards something better, but the reality is that's just not true. We live probably more than ever in a world of panic. I don't need to go into many details about uh, the statistics on anxiety and worry. One stat that I read just briefly is that 39% of people say they are more anxious today than they were a year ago. More anxious today than they were a year ago. Millennials are the most anxious generation we've ever seen. 
but baby boomers had the greatest increase in anxiety from 2017 to 2018. Everybody is anxious. Everybody's stressed out. And when life gets overwhelmed, we have a tendency to panic. We have a tendency to freak out. And the outward chaos of life causes inward stress and anxiety, which often leads to fear or doubt or saying things we shouldn't say or doing things we shouldn't do or behaving in ways that aren't helpful. And what begins to happen when, when, we are, when things are going on around us and it's affecting us on the inside is we begin to perpetuate the chaos what I mean by that is when we're faced with things we don't understand and can't control, we begin to act like the storm that we're in. The difficulty is happening all around us and we get caught up in the storm and so we begin to act crazy too. Let me give us an example. Toilet paper. <laughs> right? Like it's like the it, people, everyone's buying toilet paper. So I guess that means we have to buy toilet paper. Like that's just... That's the solution now, I guess. And they're doing it, so I'm doing it. And we perpetuate, right, the chaos. Everyone's afraid of a food shortage, so what do we do? We go buy all of the food. And creating, right, a shortage of food. It, we're perpetuating the chaos around us. We're beginning to behave like the storm on the outside. Jesus wakes up, there's a storm on the outside, and it seems like there's chaos in the boat because the apostles are losing their minds. Don't you care about us? What's, we're so afraid, we're so fearful, we're so caught up. We perpetuate the problem. When we're in a storm, we panic, and we begin to act like the storm that we're in because we are afraid. The apostles, they're afraid. So we need to have faith that is greater than our fear. So the first response we have in the storms of life and chaos and confusion is panic. Number two is we prosecute, we prosecute. The first thing the guys say to Jesus is, don't you care that we're perishing? There's a shift here. No longer are they just afraid and, and overwhelmed by the storm, but now they are connecting the chaos with Jesus sleeping and saying, he doesn't care. Don't, don't you care that we're perishing? Because if you cared, we wouldn't be in this storm. And there's a tendency in the midst of the unknown to forget about what God has done and who he is and immediately just assume the worst. That God doesn't care or God isn't loving or God isn't capable of helping me because if he were one of those things, he would do something about my situation. If God cared about me or if he was loving or if he was actually in control and could, he would help me. But because it hasn't changed, because my situation is still happening, it must mean God doesn't care or God isn't in control. Jesus is asleep on the boat and they assume that that means he doesn't care, that he's disinterested that he's distanced, he's, I'm worried about other things. I don't have time for your problem or your situation or how you're feeling. Can I be honest with you? I felt like this, where God isn't answering me in the way that I want him to answer me. And so I assume that that means, oh, he just doesn't care about me. God, don't, don't you care about us? Don't you see that we're perishing? Don't you know that we got in the boat because you told us to get in the boat and we've been following you because you told us to follow you and you've been leading us and guiding us. And the only reason we're in this boat to begin with is because you told me to get in the boat and now we're gonna die and don't you care about me? 
Can I tell you how often being in ministry, and if I could be just honest with you for a moment in church, where I find myself repeating those types of words to God, God, I'm out here serving you. I'm following you. I'm doing what you call me to do. And don't you care about me? There's a tendency to sort of put God on trial and say, God, where were you, right? Where were you the night at 10 p.m. when I needed you and I needed you to show up and you weren't there? Because it's easier at times to blame God than it is to lean into him and learn what he's doing in those moments. It's easier to just say, God, you don't care, rather than say, God, what are you doing? God, what are you trying to do in my life and what are you trying to do through my life? Rather, it's easier to just go, God, you don't care about me. I love Jesus' response to them. Listen, this is verse 40. Listen to it in the NIV. Uh, He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Really calling their attention to all that he's done so far. All that you've seen so far. At this point in the life, we're only in Mark chapter 4, but at this point they have already seen Jesus heal a guy that was paralyzed from birth. That's the moment in Mark 2 where Jesus is preaching a sermon and all of a sudden somebody begins to rip the roof off the place. The most distracting moment in a sermon probably of all time. Way worse than like a cell phone or a baby or something like that, right? The roof is getting ripped off. And this paralyzed guy gets lowered down and Jesus forgives his sin and heals him and he walks out. They've seen that. Peter's mother-in-law was healed. He cast demons out of people. He's healed a leper and countless others. Now they get to this moment, their storm, their situation. Jesus, don't you care about me? And I think sometimes we, we look at moments like this and we say, yeah, God does things for other people, but he doesn't do things for me. God heals their sickness. God helps them financially. God provides a job for them. God restores their marriage, but he doesn't, he's not gonna do that for me. And we put God on trial and say, where were you? Why don't you? And their immediate response is still to blame God and doubt God, even though all of these things of who he is and what he's done should actually strengthen their faith to cause them to go, God, you're a good God that does deal with situations like this. So I'm gonna trust you in the middle of it. Rather than basing their present circumstance on all that God has done, they ignore all of that and focus only on how they feel. We do the same thing. We focus on how we feel rather than what God has done before. This is how I feel now. This is where I feel like you're leading me or this is where what's going on and our feeling dictates how we then behave. So we have have, uh, uh, panic. (laughs) We have prosecution. The third thing I want us to see is perseverance perseverance. Now, this is in a different story. This is in Mark chapter 6, but it's a very familiar story, and it's a very similar story. Look at, um, if you would, turn over to Mark chapter 6, because we know Mark 4 is not the only storm that he calms, and this is perhaps the more famous of the two. This is verse 45 of Mark 6. It says, immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples, again, get into the boat. So I would be like, we've done this before, Jesus, Get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. So notice this time, Jesus isn't even in the boat. The first time Jesus is there, he's asleep. The second time he sends them away, he's not even in the boat. He goes up to a mountain to pray. Verse 47, now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. 
Then he saw them straining and rowing for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. This is the second time Jesus calms a storm. But this time Jesus isn't asleep under the boat. He, he isn't even on the boat. Now, time out for just a moment. Some of you are like, what's the part where Peter walks on water? Because that's the same story, right? Jesus walks out, Peter's in the boat, and then they have a conversation. Peter walks out, and then the rest happens. It's the same moment. Um, some people just, Mark left it out of, this, of his gospel. It's found in another gospel. Some people think uh, that, uh, excuse me, Peter was the one that sort of uh, dictated Mark's gospel and Mark wrote it down. So this is sort of uh, the gospel according to Mark, according to Peter. And maybe Peter just was like, hey, can we leave that part of the story out? Um, I don't know. Whatever the case, it's that same moment. Jesus walks on the water. They have that interaction. Jesus calms the storm. But notice again, Jesus isn't asleep on the boat. He's not even on the boat. But I have to hand it to the disciples in this moment because they seem less afraid this time, don't they? I mean, we don't see the, the, the conversations that happen, but we don't see any panic or blame. They just kept rowing. They just are determined at this moment to get to the other side. We're told that they left in the evening and rowed until about the fourth watch. This would be somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So at this moment, when Jesus does show up, they've rowed for somewhere between four and six hours. A boat trip that should have taken maybe an hour. So they get in the boat. They're heading across to the other side. Jesus sent them there again. They get in the boat, go to the other side. I'll meet you over there. I'm gonna go pray. I'll be up here doing my thing on the mountain praying. You get to the other side. Starting to go to the other side, this wind comes up out of nowhere, which uh, is known to do on the Sea of Galilee there. Whips up and they, they don't panic. We don't know. They don't blame. They just head down rowing, we are going to get to the other side. Now, let me ask you, did this method work? Did they get to the other side? No, they put their head down and they were gonna get to the other side, but their own willpower and resolve did not get them out of the storm. They were still as stuck. They were probably now just exhausted. They were in just as much danger as in the other story. I think sometimes when we're faced with difficulty and circumstances, our response isn't, isn't uh, panic. We're, we're actually very calm. Some of you, this does not bother you. You're like, I saw this coming. Very calm. You're not blaming God because you think, your thinking is God helps those who help themselves. And so your thinking is not necessarily that I need to blame God. I knew it was my responsibility anyways. And so I'm just going to put my head down and make it happen for myself because I need to work to get through this situation. God's not going to help me. I got to get through it. Sometimes our response in the craziness and in the storm, it's not blame. It's, it's not getting upset, but it's putting our head down and saying, I'm going to get through this on my own. Own. And we find ourselves, let me tell you, just as stuck, now we're exhausted. Because we think we're the captains of our destiny and we're going to make a way. 
The reality of these stories is that they are miracle stories, right? These are miracle stories. This is God doing the supernatural. It is a storm, a literal physical storm that is beating on their boat that could potentially kill them. And Jesus shows up and calms the storm. Jesus is doing the supernatural. And I think for one of the reasons why this, this idea of, of perseverance is relevant to many of us is because we live in a day and age where we have, for lack of a better way of saying this, evolved from miracles. Like, okay, those are nice stories in the Bible. I get it, Jesus. Like, that was cool. He did miracles, whatever. But this is 2020. Miracles don't happen anymore. We just have to put our head down and do our own thing. And so much of the world that we live in today is about control, isn't it? It's about control. And if you want a better future, you have to take hold of it yourself and you have to will it into existence because there is no God, there are no miracles and no one is coming for you. So if you wanna see it happen for yourself, you better get out there and take it because no one's gonna hand it to you. And that's sort of the, the world we live in today where it's up to you to be in control. Now we are seeing very quickly and easily how little control we actually have. But it's this, this idea, again, this myth where we think we can control and we can dictate our own future. It's this belief that we can control what goes on around us. But the truth is we can't control what happens. And peace in the storm does happen when we can come to the end of ourselves. When we realize that, do you know what? I'm not in control of this situation. I can't dictate how this thing's gonna play out. But what I can do is release my life to the one that is in control. And can I tell you today that God still does miracles? That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? That we still live in a miracle story? It's not over yet. Jesus is the one that's in control. He's on the throne. He has a plan. He does love. He does care. And listen, he can. He can change things. We serve, we serve and worship a God of miracles. That is not a God that used to be. That is a God that is today. And we can have confidence in the promises and the reality of scripture that if he said it, he meant it. And if God promises that he will work all things together for good, you better believe that God is gonna work all things together for good. When the scripture says that he has plans that are higher than our plans, the purposes that are better than our purposes, you better believe that he has plans that are higher and he has ways that are better. That is who he is and that is what he does. So we need to learn to let go and trust in God who is a miracle worker and he is in control. Panic, prosecute, we have perseverance. The fourth and final one, I want to talk about peace. Fourth option is peace. Now, back in our original story, Jesus wakes up from his nap, right? The storm's happening. The apostles wake him up. I wonder which apostle finally went in there and woke him up. Like, which one was the one like, hey, you go yell at him. Wake him up from his nap and to ask him if he cares about us or not. Like, which one of us... It was probably Peter, but we don't know. Whatever the case, he's like, where, where are you? Wakes him up. And Jesus, I love it. There's, there's no worries. There's no real stress. There's no, there's no problem. He simply, he turns, notice, first to the storm. He says, peace be still. And then we're told that there was a great calm that came after. 
And the idea there of a great calm is that it was a noticeable calm. You know how sometimes there's, there's nights and evenings here, maybe at the beach or something like that, where, or, or just the sky and the sunset where there is a, a calm or a night that you take notice of. Like there's some nights where there's a storm, maybe it's a, a crazy storm where like, well, this is out of control and you take notice of it. And then there's a lot of really ordinary nights. Sun just sets and it does its thing. But then there's some nights that there's those incredible calms that you take notice of it. Maybe it's one of those pink sunsets that we get that are just incredible. And it's like, wow. And it says that there was a great calm. It's almost like as great as there was a storm, there is now equally as great of a calm. And Jesus wakes up and he says, peace be still. And then I love after he calms the storm, he turns to the apostles and he's like, so what's the problem? So why were you so afraid and stressed out? And I got him, well, it's like, well, now, now it's easy to see. Yeah, it's, if you would have asked us that a minute ago, we would have just pointed and said like, this is why we're so afraid and so fearful. Now, it's funny how after God brings us through something, it's hard to even see why we were so worked up with it in the beginning. Like when God does what he does and is faithful always, it's hard for us to go like, uh, yeah, why were we so stressed out and worried? Oh yeah, God does what he always does because he's faithful. He, 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 he will never leave nor forsake. That's, who, that's what he does. There's no stress. There's no worry. He just says, why are you so afraid? He calms the storm and there's this great calm. But listen, the great calm after the storm was a representation of the great calm that Jesus had during the storm. The great calm after the storm is a representation of the great calm that Jesus had during the storm. How do I know? Well, he's asleep in the middle of the storm. I don't know about you, but one of the first things to go when I'm overwhelmed or I'm anxious or I don't know what I'm going to do is sleep. Right? I, I lay in bed at night, tossing and turning, and, and part of me is praying. I'm like, God, would you help? But at the same time, how many of you know we're praying, but also we're like trying to figure it out ourselves? Like we're laying in bed, we're worried, we're stressed. We're like, God, help. Okay, this is the 10 ways I'm going to fix it tomorrow. God, will you fix this thing? Okay, I'm going to do this and that, and I'll fix it tomorrow. Right? And because oftentimes sleep is one of the first things to go when we're overwhelmed. Where's Jesus? He's asleep on a pillow. He's not worried. The things that, that is causing us to stay awake at night is not doing the same for Jesus. Jesus isn't up there with you like, oh man, what are we gonna do? <laughs> there was a great calm even in the midst of the storm. There was a great calm after, but Jesus had peace in the middle of it. Jesus had, had perspective and peace in the middle of the storm. And the peace of Jesus in the storm should speak to the fact that he is in control. If I was in the boat, at least I hope, if I was in the boat and Jesus was asleep during the storm, I'm grabbing a pillow too and I'm curling up next to Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus, if we go down at the very least, like this is on you, I'm just doing what you're doing. Like, you're sleeping, I'm sleeping. Like, that's how it's gonna be. If you're not worried about it, I'm not worried about it. What I'm saying is allow the peace of God to bring you peace. Allow the promises that he is in control to allow you to relinquish control and receive the peace that he promises. We don't have to be the ones to figure it out. We just have to trust that he is in control. Allow his peace to bring you peace. Can I speak to the moment that we're living in our culture right now? 
the moment of, of panic and blame and, and perseverance and worry and all of these things, can, can we let go and grab onto the peace of God? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The peace that promises that he is in control. He's not worried. He's not upset. Allow his peace to bring you peace. I want to invite the worship team back up here. I want to share a story that happened in my life just recently, kind of on the same vein. But um, my, my younger brother, I've got three younger brothers. The youngest one um, decided he wanted to start surfing recently. And uh, my dad and I, we both surf, but none of my brothers surf. And my youngest one, he, he decided he wanted to. So we picked him up. Uh, we got a surfboard. We started to surf. We went to a place called Fort Pierce Inlet, which is near our house. And um, we were surfing there. The waves were fun and easy. It was a beautiful day. The water was warm um, or warmer, I guess. It was, it was nice. And uh, all of a sudden, out the back, I saw a spinner shark. Have you guys ever seen a spinner shark? There, there's sharks in the ocean that for whatever reason, they literally jump out of the water and do like a bunch of spins in the air and then go back down. And as far as I know, they're harmless. They're kind of preoccupied doing their little dance out the back. Like they don't want to come eat me. But it's, it's pretty remarkable to see because sometimes they're pretty big. They jump out of the water, do a bunch of spins and then kind of belly flop back into the water. And my brother looked at me like, what was that? And I'm like, oh, it's a spinner shark. Don't worry about it. Like, it's no big deal. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, things, it's going to be out there all day long. We don't need to worry about it. And he was like, okay, if you're not worried, I'm not worried. If you're good, I'm good. So we kept surfing. Everything was fine. About a week later, we uh, went to, we we're going surfing again. And there's a place, a different place near us. It's called Monster Hole. Um, you'll see why it's called that in just a moment. Um, but uh, we, we, it's about a half mile off the beach. It breaks, um, breaks out there where our inlet is. There's sort of a sand buildup. And uh, so this wave breaks about a half mile out to sea. So you paddle out through the flats. There's no waves that break there. You paddle all the way out until you get to this wave. And sometimes it gets really, really good. But it's kind of like one of those elusive waves where it looks better when you're standing on dry land than when you actually realize you're a half mile out in the ocean. And you're like, this was kind of a weird idea. Um, and so we, we paddle out there. We get out there. I convince them, like, no, it's good. Let's go out there. So we, we finally get out there. We're sitting up on our board. It's a long paddle. He's exhausted. And I kid you not, we finally got to where we were going to sit. And I see a shark fin pop up, probably about this big, just kind of like does this thing, like, just like shows us that he's in control and he's out there and then just disappears underneath the brownish water. And I kid you not, my eyes got the size of a baseball. And I go, oh, no. And my brother looks at me. He goes, oh, no. <laughs> He said, what do you mean, oh no? And I'm like, just how about you uh, get on your surfboard and let's just paddle on in. And I'm like, just head down and just don't look back, paddle in as fast as you can. And we just like struggle, we're fine, obviously, I'm here to tell the story. And I, I found out uh, about a, a few days later that there'd been a 10 or 12 foot hammerhead hanging out right there at Monster Hole. And it's called Monster Hole because there tends to be a lot of sharks that hang out at Monster Hole. They really should put a sign like, hey, there's a 10-foot hammerhead hanging out there this week. Um, but uh, we went out and, and it, it was terrifying. We're alive. All is good. The reason I bring that up is because in the first moment, my peace brought my brother peace. Right? He's like, if you're not worried about it, I'm not worried about it. The second time, he was scared to death because he could see the look in my eyes. But can I tell you that there's never a moment in your life, a never, never a season, never a situation where God's going to look at your circumstance and go, oh, no. 
<laughs> There's never going to be a moment where you are, are feeling like you're overwhelmed, like this is never going to work out. This is out of my control. And God's going, oh, no, what am I going to do? There's never going to be that moment because why? God's in control. God has a plan. God sees things through. And so when, when life gets overwhelming and life gets confusing and life gets, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do today, much less tomorrow. Can I tell you, allow the peace of God and who he is and the plans that he has to bring you peace and recognize that there's not a moment where he's like, ah, well, I just have lost it. This, they're just on their own now. I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. It's just up to them. No, he is in control. He's on the throne. He has a plan. He sees things through the end. And so what we need to do is grab onto him, cling onto him. If you will, grab your pillow, curl up with Jesus and trust that he's going to work things together for good. It's not up to you to fix it. It's up to us to trust in Jesus. Trust in him. And I know, like I said in the beginning, this is a very applicable message given the circumstances that we're facing right now as a nation and as people and individuals. And I'm not trying to make light of what's going on in our world at all. I'm just saying that God is in control. And whoever needs to hear that today, just God's in control. This, the coronavirus didn't surprise them. It wasn't like, oh man, I didn't plan for that one. No, God, God knows what's going on. God knows what what he's doing and what we need to do is learn to grab onto him and trust and allow his peace to bring us peace in the midst of uncertainty. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel.